your Bibles, go directly to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, and I'd like to challenge you in that way, and, and uh, let me change that over to Mark. Let's go there first. In the book of Mark, chapter 3, and uh, I think it's a wonderful time and uh, place that you would go, and it says to here in Mark chapter 3, chap- verse number 13, a wonderful and wonderful thing. It's a responsibility to be ascending church. And normally we'd be preaching to the church and the message would come to the church concerning the pastor of that church. They would be the pastor that would be going back to take the helm of that church and he would become the pastor. That's a big responsibility. And throughout the state and around the Northwest, We've had this year almost 20 different pastors that have changed pulpits, that have retired, that have stepped down, and someone is coming in. We ought to be concerned as people of the Northwest. We ought to be concerned of, of sister churches in the transition that they're going through. And all that time and effort, uh, you just have to listen and pay attention and do what's right. And I think it's a wonderful thing to see what God can do and the fact that Brother Chip can go out from this church. I knew Brother Chip when he was young. I knew his wife, and she was a member of our church, and we did yo-yos together on the platform. Do you remember that? And I remember us doing yo-yos. She did all kinds of tricks and everything. I can't do them anymore, but maybe Ashley would do those for you after service tonight. I don't know. But uh, they, were, they were really good. I'll, you just have to take my word for it. And uh, we rejoice in the Lord together. It's wonderful to raise generation after generation after generation and Wooden Valley, uh, you raise a lot of kids. I remember back at Hartman in the early days, and they had 20, and they had 22, and 25, and 26. Kathy and Rich would come smiling in with all these kids. And we had loads of kids that are all over America. And Wooden Valley is known by your young people. And I want to thank you for being a testimony and for trying to get kids to school. What a testimony it's been throughout the years as we serve the Lord together. Here in Mark chapter 3 and verse 13, I'll not have you stand yet, but I want you to see this verse as one is called for service. And here it says in this place in verse 13, and he goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would. And they came unto him, he ordained 12 that they should be with him and that he might teach and send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sickness, and to cast out devils. And Simon, surnamed Peter, and James, the son of Zebedee, John, the brother of James, and he surnamed them Bonjeras, which is the sons of thunder. And Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, which also should betray him, We find that Judas gets in in place in this as well. And the Bible says they went into a house. And again, the multitude cometh together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, he is beside himself. I want you to understand that he was called, they were called. We see the apostles as they gathered around to do the work that was necessary to do. 
The church must do the work that is necessary to be done. The church is the one that's sending. We believe in the local church, not the universal invisible church. We believe it's a local church of Woodenville, the local church of Yakima, the local church of Puyallup. We know that it's a local church that gets the job done. And through that, God sends out and rebounds about his people. I want you to turn now to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 1. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1, and I'd have you all stand, if you would, out of the respect of the reading of God's word. And in Hebrews, it says this, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. I want you to read with me now. Lest at any time we should let them slip. In fact, that's good enough to read again. Let's all do it together from the beginning. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience receiveth a just recompense of reward, how shall we accept escape if we neglect so great salvation? Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, it was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. Father, help us tonight as we delve into this time. A charge to the church, a charge to the church about a young man that is not going to this church, but this church certainly has had an influence upon his life. And Lord, as he goes, it's our responsibility and it's our diligence to encourage and to support and to set him apart. And I pray, Lord, that we'll understand that it's the church's responsibility to be the church and Lord, not to waver, not to falter, but to stand in evil times. And we ask and pray these things in your holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Years ago, at noon, we stopped every time, and it was Paul Harvey that was on the air. And he talked one day about a school somewhere in the Midwest where the junior high girls were causing commotion. And they were gathering in the middle bathroom of that school. It was large, and uh, they were blotting their lipstick on the mirrors, and uh, the custodian was upset, the principal was upset. He got all the girls of the school to come towards that bathroom, and they packed in. There were hundreds of them clear out into the hallway, and they were tittering, and they were acting like junior high girls. And he began to say, girls, he says, uh, you mess up the mirror, and you cause me a lot of time, and I'm irritated, and I'm upset. And he says, uh, Jose, the janitor, he has to go every day and clean all the mess off of your mirrors. He says, I'm just sick and tired of it. And he says, I want you to, he says, Jose, show them what you have to do. Jose walked over, took the toilet brush, walked over to the toilet, came out and stuck it down in there. And then he began to go just like that all the way down the line. And uh, after some of them threw up, (laughs) only Paul Harvey could say it, they began to listen. They began to listen because it was of uttermost importance not to kiss that mirror again. A young monk 
I've got to tell you one more so I can be like Brother Fernello. Uh, <laughs> a young monk went into the monastery and they said, we've got three rules here. And he said, you get to speak two words in five years. And that's the instruction. And so they waited five long years. And this young monk stood up and he said, hard bed. And he shut up and sat down. It was five years later that he stood up once again. And he looked at them and the magistrate said, yes, sir. And he stood up to his feet and he said, bad food. It was five years later than that, and the young monk stood up and he said, I quit. And the monsieur said, you may as well quit. All you've done is complain since you've been here. (laughs) I don't want you to go away complaining, but I want you to pay attention. Members, are you listening to me? If you're here and you're not a member, this is for this church. If you're here and not a member, remember that Wooden Valley means something It has a prominent place in our state. Our people know about Wooden Valley. Tim Schellenberger and others that came out of this place that walked in these paths. You have a great impact throughout our state, all over the Northwest. But I want you to see that in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, the danger of drifting like a ship without a rudder is given primary importance. This church could become just like that. The Bible says here, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. What does that mean? That means that we can slip out of context with what we believe. We can slip out of context with what we stand upon. We believe in close communion. We're a Baptist church. We believe in the King James Version. We believe in music that is sung and heard, not just felt, and goes through us from the foot first all the way to the heart. We believe in standing for what is right. We believe in being Baptist people. And here the Lord says there's a danger of letting those things drift away, letting them slip. Verse number one refers to the danger of drifting away. The picture of drifting away is of a ship that is moving past its moorings into the deep beginning to render. Uh, this danger, it faces us as Christians. It's easy just to drift along in the Christian life. And verse number three tells us how we drift. It's by sheer negligence, prayer, and Bible study, and soul winning, and so on. How should we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which has first begun to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto them? I want to tell you tonight that All it takes is just a little bit of slippage. In Yakima tonight, down at the Union Gospel Mission, for 36 years, Roger Scott and his son, first of all, it was him, then his son took over, Dennis, in his footsteps some 15 years ago. It's always been that you come in and listen to the gospel message preached, and then you eat. And hundreds would pack outside, just like the missions must be around here. And they had to listen to the gospel message before they ate. They had to sit down. They had to listen. There were all kinds of rules in the mission. This guy walks in, and even the paper picked it up. And he said, uh, he said, you know, uh, we shouldn't force them to go against their common sense. And we ought to just let it be a, a voluntary thing. 
If you want to eat, you come and eat. You don't have to go to the service. The service is voluntary. You don't have to do that anymore. I thought as a pastor in that city who sends everybody down on the fourth Tuesday of the month, and we have one man that does Spanish teaching all the time. I said, you know, that's the ecumenical. Remember, there's other churches that use the mission. But it's their place where they begun to slip. And they not only have done that, but they've done several other things in three weeks. And the newspaper has picked it up. And it's going back and forth in the newspaper. Secular people are upset. I thought that's pretty good when secular people get upset that you don't have to listen to the gospel. (laughs) But I'm telling you, you should not have to listen to the gospel. It should be required that you listen to the gospel and you don't slip from your moorings. This is the same thing that happens in churches. Little things you let slip and go away. The ushers change. All of a sudden, it's a casual service. And you begin to wear shorts. Wait a minute, preachers. I'm going to get you on this one. You began about five years ago not having service on Christmas night. And then you don't have one on Easter night. And then it's not too long until every Sunday night, why should we have to come back? You know, it's hard to go ready and to get ready and to go and to come and people just get tired. They don't want to be there anyway. Our choir sang Sunday morning and Sunday night and there's a lot of Sunday afternoons. My wife says, oh, choir practice. I got to be in there at four o'clock and they got to come down and they've got to be special. And there's kids programs and different things. It's hard. It's hard to go to church Let me just tell you, it is hard to go to church if you haven't figured it out. That's why when a lot of people move to another town and they don't check in with their local church and they wait for just a week and, oh, it feels so good. And they wait for another week and it feels real good. And pretty soon they don't go back to church. I don't know how many people have called me and said, Dave, one of our best families is moving to Yakima. Now I just go, oh, no. And they said, they're going to be a blessing to you. Listen, uh, about 75% of them never even come. Never even show up. And you know, it wasn't too long ago that uh, churches that had churches on Sunday morning, we scraped, we raked, we did everything to get churches to go together. We paid money and we gave and prayed a church into existence. And all of a sudden, uh, they gave up their Sunday night service. What do you need a building for? All these churches looking for buildings in Sunday morning, they have a service. Sunday night, they don't. Wednesday night, they have home Bible study. And that's the way it is in your town. And church after church, about five years ago is when it started. And now, in the whole county, there's about four of us that have got a Sunday night service. You let it slip. It wasn't held to the moorings. It wasn't in the place where it used to be. Little things. You, don't get, you get tired of going. You get tired of being. And you get tired of dragging your family out and dragging them in. I know what it's like with nine kids. Get them ready for church and get them to church. And man, I tell you, everybody's worn out. But I'll tell you, folks, you've got to go to church. It's going to cost you something. We've got to contend for the faith. It includes getting ready and going to church. So many other things we could spend on that. But the Bible says here that they began to, sh- to drift like a ship without a rudder. The second danger is having an evil heart of unbelief. We get this in Hebrews 3. And look down at verses 12 through 19. The Bible says, 
saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. Let's keep that music the right way. It should be praising and honoring and glorifying him. And again, I put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me, he goes on to say, in verse number uh, 14, it says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that throughout death he might destroy him that hath power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver him who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took on him not the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and high, faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, verse 18, but he is able to secure them that are tempted. God can do that for you. God can be there. God wants you to understand. In Hebrews chapter 3, the Bible tells us of the same thing. And look at verse number 13 in Hebrews 3. The Bible says, take heed, brethren, verse number 12, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. In verse 13, it says, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast, fastened into place unto the end. Let me tell you, there's a danger of an evil heart of unbelief. You begin to see other churches and you begin to listen to the people at work. It's the people at work and other churches that mess up our deacons. It's other people and other things, what they are doing out there that begins to affect our church. Chip is going to be ordained tonight to go out into the world. I don't know where he's going to end up, but they're going to get a fine man whenever they get him. And you are going to hold, and you are going to be proud of the fact that he stood. You trained him, and you taught him, and you showed him. All of you, the church, had an influence upon Chip. But I'll tell you, it's easy to get a cold heart. It's easy to get a heart of unbelief. And you begin to question the doctrines. Your pastor's written some very good books. He's written a good book on communion. In fact, two years ago, I passed it out to all of our people. And I said, read, read this book. My friend, Rich Farinella, wrote this book. That didn't make any difference to them or anything, but they sit down and begin to read it. Listen, it stood on the doctrines on what we believe about communion. Very, very important. You can have a heart that becomes hard, and you can be cold and calloused, and you can go from the first time, wait a minute, do you remember the first time when you got saved and you got into church and you were involved in your church? You were excited. I mean, it was exciting. Everybody you had, all your friends were prospects. Yeah. Now you don't have any prospects, <laughs> but back then you did, yeah. had all kinds of prospects, and you were bringing people to church, and you're filling up your car, and it was exciting. And I used to hold on to the seat and everything that went on, every song that was sung, every special that came, every choir number, it was exciting. 
and you remember what it was like, and it was just, you just couldn't get enough of it. You hated it when the service was over, but you became a little bit older, and you became a little more hardened, and you became a little more experienced. Listen, members that have been here for a long time, I've been here for a long time, some of you 30, 40 years, let me tell you what happens. You begin to question, and you begin to wonder about your involvement. You begin to die off and there's not a joy, there's not an excitement anymore. And you know why? It's because the longer that you're in the church, the more you have to give. You've got to invest yourself in other people. The reason that you're not happy is because you're not investing yourself in others. And you've got to give and give and give. And the longer that you're there, the more you have to give. And some of you are just not worth it. Some of you dry up and you close up, and you become distant, and you shrivel up, and pretty soon you drop out. That's what happens to old Christians. Let me tell you something. You've got to keep on giving. You've got to keep on working. You've got to keep on going. You don't have time to relax. The Bible tells us that Jesus is coming soon. I believe it. But the Bible says we're contending for the faith. There's a danger of having an evil heart. And look a little bit further, if you will, the danger of being content with spiritual immaturity. Over in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 11, the Bible talks about the danger and what happens in our life. Look at verse number 11. The Bible says in verse 11 of chapter number 5, these words, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing you're dull of hearing. For when of the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And look at verse number, number one of the next chapter, verse number six. These verses show us that Christians can be dull of hearing, sluggish and slothful. The Bible says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ... Let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. Five in verse 11, it says sluggish and slothful. It says that we are babies in verses 12 and 13. And it says we should go on to develop manhood, to stand like a man, to become a man in chapter number six and verse number one. Listen, you can't stay on the milk of the word forever. I look at some of the peoples when they leave their Bibles at church. I know you do that to leave it to mark your seat and all that type of thing. But it's amazing when you flip through somebody's Bible and they've never written in it at all. And they say, oh, the Bible I study out, uh, you know, is at home. But you never make it and you never mark it. And you never do anything to improve upon the skills that you have. And you remain a baby. And... I'm sorry, but a lot of us pastors in the state are just constantly working with babies in the church. People that should have maturity and should have gone on ahead and should be taking charge and leadership is so critical in a church. 
you men to take a stand. You men, I, I tell you, the pressure's on us. But the Bible says they become as babies. We're taking a lot of babies and trying to mature them to men. And they've not yet gone through the basic, very basic principles of life. They've not grown up. God says that it is a danger and it is coming to us. There's another danger here of a backsliding and failure to repent. Come to chapter 6 and verse number 4. What happens when a believer falls into sin and doesn't repent? Look at verse number 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. If they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it and bringeth forth herbs meet for them by whom it is dressed receiveth the blessing from God. The Bible says there's a danger in sliding away. Church member, no matter who you are, we've got to be so careful because you can become cold and indifferent and pretty soon somebody parks in your spot. Somebody actually sets down in your place and somebody may have done something and it, Satan is so good at making situations happen and circumstances happen that pretty soon you begin to think that everybody hates you and you're not loved and something goes wrong in the nursery. It always goes wrong in the nursery. And you're on nursery duty. And, it, it's, it, and, you know, she didn't show up. And she didn't show up again. And she didn't show up again. And, you know, and then when she did, her kids were all snot-nosed. And they came into the nursery. And they're supposed to keep them out of the nursery. And all, all that stuff goes on. I just want to close the door and let the ladies fight out. Then peek in and then shut it again. <laughs> but ladies, what goes on in the nursery and in the kitchen and around the work of the church, you're a vital, vital part of the church. And what happens with ladies and all the complaining and griping and, and going on? Listen, you've got to put that to an end. There's just no other way but just to stop it. Yes. And you've got to understand that that's hurting the cause of Christ. It hurts your church. It hurts your preacher when he gets up and tries to preach and doesn't know what's wrong. And you're sitting there, huh, and, and you're just mad at everybody else. And pretty soon, you find a reason not to come and not to come again, and pretty soon you're on your way out. And the husband is saying, what's going on? And you're just all upset. Many, many women in the church have a problem with that very same thing. Men, we can show up for work day. Oh, don't ever say this on work day, all right? Get this down now. Don't ever say this on work day. Where's everybody else? You ever heard that on work day? Tom said he'd be here. George is supposed to come. You know, and it's, it, it's always, the harder it is on work day and more miserable it is and irritating it is, the more you're concerned about who's not there. And you begin to complain and begin to gripe and begin to gripe and complain. And listen, that goes all the way through the church. And because of your complaint and because you're murmuring, murmuring, murmuring means a mumbled or muttered complaint everybody begins to mutter and everybody begins to murmur and eventually it hurts the church because your pastor is unable to lead. Chip, I hope you're listening to this because it's going to come. Oh, is it going to come? 
Perhaps he'll become sick in body or perhaps he will die and suffer loss at the judgment seat. We don't know. But the Bible talks to us again about the danger of committing deliberate and willful sin. There's some Christians just go out and do some stupid things. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 26. It says right here in verse number 26, something that is very, very, very sinful and willfully. If we sin willfully, that's knowing that you are sinning. After that, we have received the knowledge of the truth. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Now, can God still forgive? Yes, he can. But the Bible says in verse 27, but a certain man, <clears throat> a certain fearful, wait a minute, but a certain fearful looking for a, of, a ju- of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he thought worthy who hath trodden under the foot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified and holy, unholy thing and hath done despite unto the spirit of grace. God have mercy that we would fall into such a con- condemnation. Listen, do you understand that God will judge you? Members of the church, we have to understand that our sin affects everybody else. Our sin affects the people of the church. It affects the people that are outside the church. I've been in Yakima a long time. I go into restaurants uh, and everybody knows me everywhere I go. I didn't realize that until my kids come back home from out of town and they say, Dad, everybody knows you. I, I don't really pay any attention, but they do. I have a congregation outside my church. It's a whole lot bigger than my church. People call me preacher. They'll say, hey, Brother Dave, good to have you with us. I've got a Chinese restaurant. They're Buddhist, and they give out our tracks. (laughs) Some of them put our tracks out. Some of them say hello. A lot of you like to go to Mill's Diner when you come to town and Gene's Cottage Inn. You like to go there in those type of places. I preach their funerals for their grandparents, and I preach their parents' funeral. And I'm there with the family, and I'm the pastor. And very, very few of them ever come to church, but, oh, it's good because I love to do funerals. You see, two years ago, I did uh, 16. Last year, I did 32. And this year, I've already done 17 funerals. You see, it's not just old congregation dying off. There's a lot of people in my town that I'm their pastor, and they know who I am. Some of the rest of you could attend to that. They call you. They wave at you. They honk at you. Some of them honk for the wrong reason. They don't like me, but they, they're just there. But let me tell you, I pastor them, and I'm their pastor, and you're going to get that when you stay one place a long time. Chip, you better remember that. Because those people that are on the outside, you never know which ones are going to come through that door in the back when they're beat up and they're wrung out and their wife has left them and you're there to love them and minister to them and to put some salve in the wounds. You see, it's an unseen church. It's an unseen church. Brother Tyree knows what that's like. I want you to know that God has put this church here and you're going to be the church that taught and trained and 
lifted up a young guy that came from New York by the name of Chip. And you taught him, and he ministered to you, and boy, he did a pretty good job. And he was there, and he was encouraging, and now he's going to wherever God calls him to go. He's going with a wife that can do a yo-yo real good, and she can do all kinds of stuff. But oh, listen, it's so important. Do you know, do you love, do you encourage those that are around you? Understand the danger of being careless and undisciplined. In chapter number 12, verses 12 through 17, and I'm hurrying now, so I don't want to infringe on Parrish's time. But chapter number 12, in verse number 12, the Bible talks about being careless and not being careful. We can become spiritually slack and discouraged as a church. The Bible says in chapter number 12, Wherefore lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, And make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Verse 14 says, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. I wonder if that root is in you tonight. I wonder if that taste of bitterness and what she said or what he did or whoever it was that offended you and you'll let that thing go on and on without getting settled. You know, we begin to think that the altar is just for somebody else. It's for the new people. We begin to think that there's something wrong with the altar and we never use it ourselves. In fact, most of you have not been there all year and we're clear down to November. Most of this church, I I don't go here, but... Most of this church has not been to the altar in in this whole year. I don't know why. Because I know that that's true in my church, and it's true in a lot of our churches. And we carry things on. That little root of bitterness springs up, and instead of cutting it loose and implying during gardening that it's taken out when it's very, very little, we let that thing grow, and we let it grow. And it's added on to, and it's grown. And if you don't deal with sin when it's small, Sin increases in very large amounts and it spreads throughout all the garden. It's roots of bitterness. And those roots of bitterness take you out and they cause you to be slothful. You stop saying amen and pretty soon you stop giving and pretty soon you become a member that is just waiting for something to transfer, something to take place that will satisfy you. And I want you to understand the last one In Hebrews 12, look at verse 18. The Bible tells us here that there's danger of refusing to hear the word of God. For ye are not come unto the mouth that ye might be touched, that burned with fire, nor blackness and darkness and tempest, the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure that which was commanded And so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. The Bible says, and so terrible was a sight that Moses said, I'd exceedingly fear and quake. But you're come up unto Mount Zion and to the city of the living God and the heavenly Jerusalem 
to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and to the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of the sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Well, listen, church, you need to come back to the Lord. You need to serve him. You need to make things right. You need to ask God tonight to forgive you, to put you back in that place. Get back to where it was exciting when you went to church. When you loved your pastor and you remembered his birthday and you remembered his anniversary and you remember those special things and begin to do, don't say what you're going to do, but you begin to do the first fruits. And it's those times, just like in a marriage, you just begin to do the things that drew you together Remember the sweetness and you remember the spells and you remember how it was. God will restore your church. Thank you.